Hey there, I'm Sarah Duty, host of the Career Strategy Podcast. Many professionals are seeking more impact, flexibility, growth, and let's face it, getting paid what they're worth. But how do you unlock this in your career? It starts with strategy. I'm taking you behind the scenes of what's working for my career coaching clients. You'll hear strategies and actionable, yet sometimes against the grain, advice for how you can be the CEO of your career and stop dreading Mondays. Ready to level up your career? Let's get after it. Hey everyone, it is Sarah, and I have a bit of a different episode for you today. If you can't tell, I'm not in my regular home studio. I am actually driving in my car across Nevada towards these snow-covered mountains that I can actually see right now. I love skiing so much that I am just following the snow. And right now there's a lot of snow in Mammoth, California. So I'm heading out there to keep on skiing. I am a big skier and maybe you saw this on my Instagram before, but I do these little ski videos where I give you career tips and advice. As I'm driving across Nevada, one of the things that I've been thinking about is the idea of developing resilience in your career and the connection between resilience and mental health. I think that a lot of times we get overwhelmed and frustrated and burnt out because we try and do things in our career all by ourselves. And it made me remember my experience running marathons. So I have run four marathons. It honestly should have been five, but I got injured before one of them. I want to tell you the story of training and running my first marathon because your career, it's very similar to running a marathon. Developing career confidence and reaching your career goals is really a marathon, not a sprint. Despite all the hacks and tips and tricks that you see on social media, you have to remember that your career is a marathon. Your job search is a marathon. Developing confidence is a marathon. Developing a new skill is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Anyone who's ever run a marathon knows that running sprints as a part of your marathon training can be really, really valuable. And this is because when you run sprints, they help you develop speed and endurance so that basically you can run longer with less fatigue. And that's what you want in a marathon. You want to be able to run 26.2 miles and not feel like crap midway through. That is not a fun experience. In the career coaching that I do, I've really modeled it similar to marathon training where we have an end goal and we have specific activities we do to help us reach those end goals. And in the case of marathons, it's running sprints and sometimes it's lifting weights and sometimes it's yoga and sometimes it's long runs or fast runs. I want to go back to my first experience training for a marathon. So it was June of 2017. I was living in New York City and I'd been running for years and a friend of mine kind of knew I was thinking of doing a marathon and she decided to do it too. 
which made it a little bit easier to commit to the training, knowing that I had an accountability buddy. And so normally with a marathon, you want to train for about four months. Now, different plans have different lengths of time, but for me, I went with the four-month plan. That started, I believe it was in July, and then honestly, probably three weeks, four weeks into the training, I was at the doctor's one day, just like a normal doctor's visit, but I'd always had this weird little bump kind of on my hip, and I always thought, oh, it's just some weird muscle thing, and I showed it to her, and she was like, that's a little interesting, we should have that checked out. So long story short, it ended up being a really suspicious tumor in my leg. And I think it was in the space of maybe two or three weeks, I had three or four different procedures and scans and doctor's visits. They determined it was so suspicious that they needed to get it out right away. I remember sitting in the doctor's office, the surgeon's office, and I said to him, like, how soon can I start running again? Because I signed up for the marathon and you don't get your money back and I have to do this and my friend's doing it and I'm committed. There was no question in my mind that I was not going to run the marathon. And he kind of looked at me and I think in hindsight, based on his facial expression, I think he was thinking like, is she serious right now? So, you know, trying to be professional and maintain composure, he just gave me some vague predictions. And well, if this happened, you know, it could be this many weeks or we don't know. And so I was just hell bent on running the marathon. And I remember the day before I had this surgery, I went to the track to run sprints which again, in hindsight, probably wasn't the best move because I'm not sure it was good to go into surgery, you know, 24 hours after I had run a bunch of sprints at the track alongside the East River. <laughs> but that's what I did. And I think it was partially to prove to myself, you're strong, you've got this, whatever happens. So I have this surgery and it was really scary. I could barely walk for a few days. I had these stitches. My leg was numb from the nerve blocker. And I had never had surgery before. And I remember the surgeon called me on my cell phone to check in. And he said, how are you feeling? And I said, my throat really hurts. And I didn't even like, didn't occur to me that I have a tube down my throat. Also, no one told me that, but it was just all very difficult and scary. Long story short, I think I was off running until early September. So, you know, a good eight weeks. I remember I had been given the green light to start running again, but I was really worried. Like mentally, I thought, what if I hurt myself? There was nothing to hurt. Oh, by the way, I just realized I never told you what happened with the tumor. So it was fine. Everything was fine. It was just a very rare tumor that some of the people involved in my case had never even seen before, only heard about in textbooks. So I just wanted to clarify that because I got a bit carried away. But I jumped back into running in September and I thought, okay, I think I can do this. So it was probably towards the end of September, actually. I trained for two months or just a little, well, really two months because the marathon was in early November and I basically crushed it. <laughs> My first marathon in New York City was four hours, 13 minutes, 44 seconds, which is really good for your first marathon. I was super excited, super proud of myself. But in hindsight, I kind of thought about the training. 
when I trained for that New York City Marathon, I joined a running club, I got a spreadsheet of the runs I was supposed to do, and I followed the plan to about 80%, I think. But one of the things I didn't do was follow a pacer during the actual race. And if you've never run a race before, pacers are people that run with a sign with a certain pace. For example, eight minute, 45 second mile pace. And the idea is that if you keep up, keep that person in your sight, you will achieve a certain time for your race. They help you keep the pace, they're a pacer. So I did not run with a pacer for that New York City Marathon. Although I was super proud of my four hour and 13 minute debut into marathons, I also thought, man, I think I can do better. Imagine what I could do if I trained for four months uninjured instead of just two. So I took some time off training. I was still running, but I wasn't running the amount of miles I was running as I was training for the marathon. I signed up for the Toronto Marathon, Toronto, Canada. And I think that was in May of 2018. So not that far after the New York City Marathon. And I followed a very similar training plan, but when it came to the race day, I thought, you know what, I'm going to follow this pacer. And it was kind of a last minute decision. And I remember it was super cold and rainy and there were all these weather advisories and they almost canceled the marathon, I'm pretty sure. I made this last minute decision to follow the pacer for that marathon. And I ended up taking 20 minutes off of my time for the Toronto Marathon. I might have messed up the math. It might be 18 minutes. I ended up running the Toronto Marathon in three hours, 51 minutes, 29 seconds. So whatever that math is. Still, that is a lot of minutes in the world of marathon training, especially to go from November, December, January, February, March, April, May, especially to do it in seven months between the New York City Marathon and that Toronto Marathon. The difference was for that Toronto Marathon, I followed the pacer and I kept them in my sight for most of the time. The pacer, they would talk every now and then, especially if we were at little water stops or something. And sometimes I was really close with them, like I could reach out and touch them. And other times they were pretty far away from me, but I could still see them and I could see the little pack of people around them. After, you know, a couple of days or weeks after that Toronto Marathon and talking with my coaches back in New York City, I think what made the difference, it was having that pacer there for me to chase, to push myself physically, but also calm me mentally. Because when you're running a race, it's really easy to get your mind worked up and you're thinking about all the things that might be going wrong or how much this part of your body hurts or you're doing math, you're looking at your watch and you're trying to like figure out, okay, if I go faster, maybe I can achieve this goal or, you know, you're just playing mental gymnastics. All of that takes energy away from just being able to run. And so as I've been working with people coaching them in their careers, I can't help but realize the really, really huge similarity 
between your career and athletics, honestly. It doesn't matter if it's running or skiing or golf or whatever sport you want to use as the analogy, but having these goals for me, and in my case, running, help me really develop a lot of resilience, a lot of confidence, and have a support system so that I don't fall into the trap of trying to do it on my own. You know, in my career coaching program, one of the things I've really noticed because you know, I sure am a career coach, but I'm also a researcher at heart. Like that is where my career started in research and design and the research component of it, specifically researching how people interact and use like digital products and services. And sometimes that extends beyond digital, but I can't let that researcher part of me go. It's just ingrained in my DNA. And as I've been doing this career coaching, I've really also been making it, you know, now almost a six year research project on how people navigate their careers. What gets people stuck in their careers? Why are so many people burnt out? Why are so many people lacking confidence? Why are so many highly talented people lacking confidence? Why is this conversation of imposter syndrome just rampant in social media? Every single time I log into a platform, it seems to be at least one post, but more like 20 that I see on any given day. And I think this topic of career confidence, which I know we'll talk about in future episodes, part of it is reminding me of what happened to me when I was running that first marathon all by myself. And sure, there was like 50,000 other runners there, but still it was just me in the crowd. I wasn't in what's called a pacer group with a person holding a sign, you know, helping me run a certain speed. When you try and do things on your own, that's when negativity can creep in, doubt, spiral thinking, as I call it, when you go from like zero to I'll never get a job again in 10 seconds. And after looking at what the really successful people in the career coaching programs that I run, you know, what they do, what their qualities are, because that's a question that I get asked a lot. And I love this question of tell me about people who've been successful and tell me about the people who have not been successful. And the people that are successful, they show up, they do the work, they take it upon themselves to show up to the track when it's raining, right? <laughs> Going with our running analogy. I, I remember training for the New York Marathon and there were days when it was that bitter cold, East Coast, freezing, bone chilling cold and rain in October and September. And I had a choice. I could say, you know what? I'm gonna skip this workout because I don't wanna go to Central Park and run up that annoying hill, Cat Hill in the rain. Or I could show up and I could put in the work. And I'm really glad that I made those decisions to put in the work because I think in hindsight, that's how I was able to run such a successful first marathon with only two months 
training. But when it comes to your career, I think what sets people apart is those people that have a goal and actually show up and do the work that's required on the journey to that goal versus the people that have a goal and just talk about the goal and then complain about all the work it takes to get to the goal and never do the work, right? I know that having these goals and committing to goals can be very intimidating. I know I was a little intimidated when I signed up for my first marathon and thought, can I do this? I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm fit enough. You know, even though I'd been running for a decade, it's easy for those thoughts to creep in. But when you break that goal down of running a marathon into a four month chunk of training, and then you look at those four months and then you say, okay, what am I going to do each of those four weeks in every month? and then you make a plan for each of those weeks, then it becomes very manageable. And it's a little cliche, but it's so true that after the first week of training, and if you're not familiar with marathon training, every Saturday for me, it could be any day of the week, but every week you do what's called a long run. As the weeks go on, that run gets longer and longer. So the first week, it might be six miles. The next week, it might be seven and a half. The next week, it might be nine. I forget the exact numbers. That is called building mileage and building your endurance. Not only is that obviously building your physical fitness, it's building your mental fitness as well. And now the time that you have to go out and run 11 miles, you're not freaked out anymore because you think, okay, well last last week I did nine and a half. So 11, it's not that much difference, right? And that momentum and building of confidence and physical fitness is what makes it possible for not literally anyone to run a marathon, but I've had friends who were not runners before sign up to do the marathon and they never run a 5k and then they run a marathon and it's possible because you take the goal of the marathon break it into four months of training look at what you're going to do for each week of the four months you find a community of people to do it with and then it's a heck of a lot easier so if you're struggling in your career right now i would ask yourself have i identified the big goal and is it specific enough? Then number two, have I mapped out a plan of the various sprints I need to do in order to reach that goal? And then the third question is, are you actually showing up to do the work, right? Are you actually going to the track when it's rainy and cold? Are you going to the gym when you don't feel like it because your friends are going to a cool new restaurant and you'd rather go to the restaurant and have a few cocktails, but no, you have to go to the gym because that's what's on the running training plan for that week. Because without the big goal and without breaking that goal into a training plan, an action plan, and then actually showing up according to the plan, you're not going to reach those goals. I would ask yourself also, are you trying to be your own coach or could you maybe benefit from a coach? For me, I know I could have Googled marathon training plans but I would have ended up with, you know, hundreds of thousands of results and half of them are contradicting each other. And even if I did find a training plan, I still would not have had a community in person or virtual that I could connect with and stay accountable with. But I really decided, you know what, if I want to do this marathon training well, 
if I want to not get injured from the training, I mean, in my case, it was just this freak tumor. I didn't get hurt from running. I didn't get this tumor from running. I want to be clear about that. It had been in my leg for a really long time, apparently. I joined this running club while I was already a part of it. And then one of their coaches, he was actually Olympian. His name was John. And John was my coach. And John gave me the plan. And then I just followed the plan. And anytime I had questions or was doubting or anytime I wanted to celebrate my wins, like John was there. It was awesome. So I hope that today's episode has helped you evaluate wherever you're at in your career right now and get some ideas for how you could approach your equivalent of running a marathon in your career. All right, I have about one hour and 40 minutes left before I get to my spot in the little mountain village. The mountains are getting closer. I'll, I'll have to stop and maybe take a picture or something so we can post it on social media. But I think I'm going to make it. Honestly, this drive, it's about nine hours. I've done it in two days. You have to drive across all of Nevada And I did it last year, but I was so terrified. It's so deserted out here. There were tumbleweeds going across the road yesterday. It was super black sky and it was raining and lightning. And then it would get sunny and then there would be tumbleweeds and signs on the road that said, you're entering an open range and beware of buffalo. And I have to admit, I like road trips. I just don't like doing road trips by myself through the desert. But I think I'm going to make it. So I feel like I have overcome another little fear of mine here. But also recording this helped distract me so I wasn't worrying about all the things that could go wrong on this drive. Thanks for listening to the Career Strategy Podcast. Make sure to follow me, Sarah Duty, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. If anything in today's episode resonated with you, I'd love to hear about it. Tag me on social media or send me a DM. And lastly, if you found this episode helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you could share it with a friend or give us a quick rating on Spotify or review on Apple Podcasts. Catch you later.